Welcome to the Talent Talk with Robert Walters podcast, where we speak to business leaders around the globe to bring you the latest trends and insights from the world of work. Hello and welcome to Talent Talk with Robert Walters. I'm Andy McLean, a journalist and podcaster based in Sydney, Australia. In this podcast mini-series, we're exploring what diversity, inclusion and equity really means for employers and employees. We're going beyond the slogans and behind the scenes to reveal the real benefits, challenges and solutions in hiring and retaining a diverse workforce. Along the way, you'll hear voices and ideas from a whole range of backgrounds. In today's episode, I speak with Michelle Redfern. Michelle is the co-founder and owner of Advancing Women in Business and Sport, a co-host of Global Online Business Women's Network, A Career That Soars, and she's a co-founder of Culturally Diverse Women, known as CDW. Michelle is also a seasoned podcaster, hosting the Lead to Soar podcast and the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. In this episode of Talent Talk, we share some extremely practical tips for hiring managers, HR leaders and other senior business leaders. For instance, for hiring managers, we discuss unconscious bias in recruitment, how to identify it, mitigate it and manage it. For HR leaders, we outline some proven steps to close the gender pay gap. And for directors and executive leaders, we look at how to ensure their strategic decision-making benefits from a broader range of perspectives, ideas and inputs. Here's our discussion. Well, Michelle, we hear the word diversity bandied around a lot. But what does it mean to you? And, And in particular, why does it matter so much in business? Thanks, Sandy. Yeah, it is a word that's been, well, certainly bandied around more these days than, than it has been out of, over the course of my career. There, there are many, many dimensions of diversity. And essentially, you know, one answer to this question is diversity is, you know, it, it's a perspective from where you stand. So I often say to people and my clients and, and anyone who wants to listen that, uh, you know, I am a middle-aged, white educated, affluent, well, affluent by some people's standards, woman. So there are many, many people who are diverse from me. They may look differently to me. So they may have different coloured skin. They may have different cultural backgrounds. They may have, now I'm also a gay woman, so they may be straight or identify in some other way in terms of their sexual orientation. Um, they may be from a different country. They may think differently to me. So I I don't consider myself neurodiverse. So look, there, there are so many different layer upon layer upon layer of, of diversities that we can talk about. But I guess to really answer the question, Andy, what we what we want to do is create as much diversity of thought, so cognitive diversity in business so that we can harness the collective wisdom of all of the humans that we're working with to better serve our customers, our communities, and of course, our, our shareholders and stakeholders. So 
diversity is just one way of describing how do we get a whole bunch of different people who think differently and have got different ideas about how to do stuff really well how do we get them together and then harness that diversity that collective diversity and that collective wisdom to do better and that's exactly where i wanted to go with the next question so um you've, you've led us straight there which is you know diversity isn't necessarily an outcome in and of itself it's actually what you do with it. And, and that's where inclusion comes in, isn't it? So I just wondered if you could just talk to us a little bit about the importance of, I suppose I'm saying, I'm thinking it's action, uh, not just talk from businesses. Yep. And if I guess to any of your listeners right now, I'd say, cast your eyes around wherever you may be, except if it's in your own lounge room, I guess. But if you're in a workplace, downtown, wherever you may be, look around you and there are myriads of uh, diverse people, people who are diverse from you around. Without inclusion, though, what we're doing is assembling a whole bunch of statistics. So uh, in your workplace, you you probably, in fact, you will have, because every human's unique, you will have lots and lots of diversity. The power to unlocking that diversity, that unlocking that collective wisdom is inclusion. And you're right, diversity is, you're looking at a set of statistics essentially. Um, inclusion is the enabler or the gate opener for unlocking the power of diversity, or as I like to call it, unleashing the power of diversity. And an inclusive workplace, an inclusive environment, whether it's a workplace, your sports club, your, your family, you know, wherever it may be, um, an inclusive place is where I feel like I belong. I feel like I'm respected. I feel like I'm valued. I don't feel scared to share my ideas or my challenges. Um, in fact, I feel like I, I really want to do that because I want to make this place better. And that's what we're aiming for with diversity and inclusion, because diversity in and of itself is just simply not enough. And, you know, one of the things that I love about working with Robert Walters is that I think that hiring managers, and that's a lot of our audience to this podcast, have got such a big part to play in setting the tone here, right? Because, you know, onboarding people, selecting people to come into your organisation is, you know, that's, that can be so powerful from a diversity and inclusion perspective. I just wondered if you had any reflections into the role that hiring managers can play in championing and achieving greater diversity in their workforces. Yep. And I'm going to even take hiring out. I'm going to say managers. Managers make literally hundreds of decisions every single week. Doesn't matter what level of management you are, you're making hundreds of decisions. They are going to be little decisions. Whose email do I answer first? Whose meeting do I attend? Who do I talk to in the corridor or at the water cooler or the photocopier? Um, who gets invited to my next Zoom meeting? Um, as well as big decisions about talent. And, and of course, this is where Robert Walters provides you know, this is where we, we come in here. So hiring managers are saying, well, how do I attract, retain, engage and advance the best and brightest talent for my organisation? So what we do, what we say to them is we want you to think about um, jumping outside of perhaps some of the mindsets that you that you will have um, and we want you to check those mindsets some people call it bias unconscious bias conscious bias i just want to talk about mindsets every single one of us holds mindsets about stuff particularly around you know my area of expertise is is gender and and intersectionality so i'm saying 
women from different backgrounds, you know, not necessarily white women that look like me, but lots of different women. We all hold mindsets about women, work, leadership, power, who belongs where, you know. Um, so so the, the role of the manager here, the hiring manager, is incredibly important. And one of the things to, to pay attention to during that really critical, these critical decision points is to say, how might I interrupt some of my unchecked mindsets, my unchecked biases that might be getting in the way of me hiring the best and the brightest talent so that we can unleash the power of diversity for this organisation. That's really interesting because you talked about um, people's inherent mindsets, right? Uh, and their traits and their beliefs and, and all those sorts of things. I just wonder, have you got any thoughts on how you go about identifying that? Because we all carry around what we might call biases or mindsets almost um, subconsciously. How do we bring those to the conscious level so that we're actually mindful of them and can then plan around them? Well, one of the, yeah, it's a great question because, as I said, every single one of us, we're unique human beings and we are the products of our environment, the way we've been brought up, the books we read, the social media feeds we follow, the TV we watch, the whatever we may do. And one way that I often talk to, to my, well, one method that I talk to my clients about is let's go to good old LinkedIn. And, you know, I shouldn't say good old LinkedIn. LinkedIn is an amazing networking tool, game changer for me. But anyway, I digress. Have a look at your LinkedIn network. Now, have a look at all the people that you are, you have as first level contacts. Are they in the same industry as you? Do they sort of look the same as you? Perhaps hold the same views as you? Um, are you Are you actively sourcing opinions and information and leadership? Thought leadership, hate that expression, Amy, but I can't find another one. Are you actively or proactively seeking out thought leadership from people who don't hold the same views as you, who perhaps have different backgrounds? Um, so one of the, the easiest ways for leaders to start checking their own bias or checking their own mindsets is to proactively put themselves in the path of different mindsets. And that might be saying, you know, for me, I know a number of years ago, I started to diversify my Instagram feed. So I followed more black women um, so that I could really understand um, the the lived experience of black women in, in, in the corporate world across the world because I work globally. Um, more recently, and when I say more recently, within the last three to four years, I've really um, actively tried to get involved with listening to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's experiences so that I can understand the truth from their perspective, not just the white history that I've been told or, or, or educated in. So there are some really, you know, I think there's some quite simple ways that we can do that. Um, you can go deeper and start to look at what am I reading? Um, do I read one particular newspaper or news from a news outlet um, but also a really another very very practical way is to start looking at who do you hang out with in the workplace now that might be um, I know we've got teams of things um, that we have to have meetings with but who might you be able to hang out with in the workplace that you haven't before and really listen to to what it is they've got to say. And, you know, my nanny used to say, Michelle, you've got two ears and one mouth and good people use them in proportion. So for a lot of us leaders, we're expected to talk a lot and take up a lot of space, make a lot of decisions. But some of this work, Andy, it's really useful to kind of sit 
and be quiet and listen to people's experiences. Don't try to solve them, um, particularly if they're, you know, perhaps not great experiences, but really listen and start to get some of those different perspectives. So in summary, check your social media feeds and diversify them. Check your own business network. Start to connect with some different people who've got some different perspectives. Check the reading that you're doing. Perhaps look at maybe I could read one different um, kind of article a week from a different outlet and then at work who can I hang out with to hear about what it's really like as a person who doesn't look like and sound like me oh that's great some really practical tips there thank you we also have a lot of listeners who work in HR more broadly one of the uh, I guess really frustrating things if you like uh, in the workforce in Australia still to this day is the gender pay gap which is still very real even you know at graduate level which is ex- I find that extraordinary right throughout um, there's there's a, a real still a you know a very noticeable statistically proven issue that we have in the country around the gender pay gap uh, I'm very interested because I know that you're uh, involved in advancing women in sport. I'm a sport nut myself. And so I've seen the amazing strides that have been made by the likes of the Matildas, the Southern Stars and Tennis Australia in terms of gender pay equity. If we could try and translate some of that success into the business world, have you got any tips for those people working in HR or maybe at senior executive level who are trying to address this imbalance in terms of gender pay gap? Big, big question. And like any other wicked problem, it's got a number. There's no one silver bullet, naturally. If there was, we would have solved it by now. So things that, and I guess in terms of your, the audience for, for, for Robert Walters, yeah, there'd be, there'd be some things that, that HR leaders can pay attention to. Number one, if, you, if the organisation's got more than 100 people in it, that organisation has to report, uh, it's uh, mandatory for them to report to the Workplace Gender Equality Agency every year. Now, if, you're, if you go and find whoever in your organisation is responsible for that reporting, both the gathering and reporting of the information, you can probably get your internal report and that can start to give you some really good guidelines about where the gaps might be around um, pay equity. So number one is find the information. What is our gap? Do we have one? And then as a leader um, or you know, someone responsible in the organisation, what might I do about that? So number one is find the information that's relevant to your organisation. The second part is to really, um, what I find useful is when HR leaders are, they're really good proactive business partners to um, ops leaders or, you know, the, 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 the hiring managers and so on and so forth. So giving those hiring managers really great advice about things like what are the trends that we see coming um, you know, currently and coming. So number one, we know that um, one of the things that's about to be on the, the do not list for, for many, many organisations is we do not ask a woman in particular, but we do not ask her what her salary expectations are for the role we're hiring for. We tell her what our range is, and uh, and she, you know, and then she can undertake her due diligence from there. So, really, looking at you know what are the policies, but also what are the real practices that are going on in the hiring process or in the talent management pipeline process that might be inadvertently. Um, because no one does it deliberately, but inadvertently disadvantaging women. So when women come out of university, 
they're equally qualified as men, but we know that um, without checks and balances in place, women will often come in at a lower rate as a grad than a man. Now, they may come in, progressive companies have got an equalisation um, process, so they'll come in evenly, but then as time goes on, that will erode. Now, why does that happen? Because of the mindsets that I've talked about, because of policies and because just because of practices. So bottom line is there's not a one and done. We've got to keep doing stuff along the way. So check your hiring practices. Are we, you know, are we inadvertently disadvantaging women when they come on board? And then throughout the employee life cycle, how might she be um, how might she not be um, benefiting from processes? So when we're looking at remuneration reviews, is there a, is there a gender lens placed over REM reviews? You know, there's a there's a REM review process in in most organisations. Is it even? Has it been? Have is the bonus pool being distributed equitably? Um, what about in terms of talent? internal talent sourcing who gets to go on the best projects versus the worst projects i mean there should be no worst project we all know there are you know um so how how are the how is the hr business partner really helping the hiring managers or the the talent the managers of talent make really good decisions that have a gender lens over them all the time there are so many different examples andy i could probably talk but we'd have a seven hour podcast episode but um, applying a gender lens at every stage of the employee, employee life cycle, that's where HR business partners can play a critical role because they're holders of lots of information, particularly around remuneration and benefits that potentially the broader business won't have access to. So they can guide and advise managers to make much better decisions that are far more equitable for women. Mm -hmm. Uh I wonder, I'm just reflecting on my own circumstances, you were talking about diversity, what it means for all of us. And, and I just think about myself for a moment. Here I am, a, a white, male, middle-aged, straight, non-disabled business person, because I suspect in your work, you work with a lot of other people like me, and that profile I've just described tends actually to be quite well represented at boardroom level. So for those people out there who are well-intentioned and they want to make more progress in terms of diversity and inclusion at a really strategic level, and I know that that's an area where you operate, do you have any kind of broad advice for where to start or are there any kind of really high impact strategies that you've seen or, or indeed are there any things that you've seen that you've really enjoyed working on? Yeah well funnily enough the profile that you gave me that is who the majority of my clients are because I am working with with boards and with executive teams and yes we do see an overrepresentation of middle-aged straight white men. Now why do we want to change that? And I want to I want to pay uh, do a bit of a nod towards this is not a zero sum game. So this the, the work that I do and others like me, many others like me. This is not saying well all of you have to get kicked out and we have to bring a whole bunch of women in because that's just dumb. Because too much of a good thing is actually too much. We want remember going right back to the start of our conversation. We want the cognitive diversity. We want to unleash the power of diversity. So what we've got to say is where are we right now and. I guess where I get the most animated and frustrated is when I see organisations powering on down a solution path when they haven't actually defined their problem, Andy. And 
for some organisations, it's actually we've got a really big leadership gender gap. So we don't have enough women on boards. We don't have enough women in executive roles. For others, it may be we've got them there. We've got a culture. We've got high turnover um, or we can't. We're not attracting the best and brightest. Okay, so that, that could be the problem or, or something else. Typically, it's around underrepresentation of a particular cohort, um, which also then leads to when you dig deeper, what's the inclusivity like, what's the lived experience of women, particularly women of colour, women who identify as disabled, so on and so forth. So my, my, my standard answer is what problem are you trying to solve? Do not spend one cent, do not spend one bit of effort, whether it's human capital or financial capital on a solution until you know what problem you're trying to solve. So what are your numbers and where are you now? And, and the, the first thing is, I mean, gender's a relatively easy uh, metric for most organisational leaders to get data on because we we grab throughout HR management systems, we grab gender. Um, so what does it look like at all levels in the organisation? How many women are there and where are they? So that's by level. Then look at it by function. Have we got women in operations? Have we got women in, in P&L uh, you know, P&L holding roles? Um, do we have women in front of customers or are women in HR? Are they in comms? Are they in marketing? So those traditional roles and, and, and places in organisation for women. So you kind of got to do um, a vertical as well as a horizontal analysis of where are our women. Then you can go, okay, where do we want to be? And then, so what are we going to do about that? My next piece of advice is don't try and solve world hunger in one year. You cannot do it. There is no organisation that I've ever worked with, big, small or otherwise, that has infinite money, infinite resources and infinite time. Uh, so pick your two big hitters. And some will say, well, how do we prioritise? And I'll go, well, number one, you should always be listening to your customers. So customers, number one. Um, you know, I always think of three sets of stakeholders, customers, your people, your shareholders and those three sets of stakeholders are going to give you some pretty good guidance about where you should be focusing um, because when you're listening to those three sets of, of stakeholders you're going to start to really hear where they want to see better ideas better products services experiences better returns you know whatever it may be so start listening but I suppose for some are going well I don't know Michelle I think all of them will want something I go well have particularly for a listed company have a have a listen to your next annual general meeting and read the annual report of, of the company and, and look at what your biggest investors are asking for. The big invest in, investment houses, the groups are now saying, we are holding organisations to account for their environmental, their, so, um, their sustainability and their governance goals. And we're all, and diversity, equity and inclusion is a big part of that. So there's some tips for, for where you might want to start, but you've got to know, you've got to know your numbers straight up. That Don't start anything until you know exactly what it is that you're trying to solve. I find it really frustrating. I find it frustrating as a, as a former employee. I find it frustrating as a shareholder to see lots and lots of effort um, and investment being made on programs that I know in and of themselves will not close the leadership gender gap, will not create a more inclusive environment. Um, so yeah, know your numbers, work out what the, where you want to be, and then work out what are we going to do to close the gap. 
And it's really interesting that you just mentioned the ESG part of this, right? The environmental, social and government governance uh, lens through which diversity and inclusion is now seen. Uh, and so to your point, you just talked about, you know, knowing where you are, knowing where you want to be and how you want to get there. All really important things. But to the stakeholders, particularly the, you know, the, the external ones like customers and investors, shareholders, you actually do need to report on those things and assure those things. So you need to you need to be absolutely transparent on this stuff, because if you don't, then you could be at risk of either being seen to be deliberately obtuse, um, but also uh, potentially you might discount yourself from investment. I mean, this, there's actually dollars attached to this now, right? Oh, 100%. And there are several uh, fairly big uh, organisations who are really looking at this at a, as you said, that strategic level, at that system level thinking. You know, HESTA is, is one of the organisations in Australia. They started their 4040 initiative uh, a couple of years ago. And the, the, the first sort of year was going to end with a whole bunch of other people, but, you know, they've got trillions of dollars on the management. So they're going to the organisations, particularly the ASX 200 organisations, so here in this geography in Australia, and saying, okay, so we, we have a bunch of shares. Uh, we're an we're a, you know, institutional investor. We'd like to understand, we can see what your performance is, particularly with the gender lens on it. We'd like to see what your plan is to address that. Now, these organisations and, and Hester's, I think their, their approach has been really fabulous because they've said, you know, we know that this is not going to be an overnight fix, but what we want to know and what we want to hear from the organisations that we're investing is that, that, that they know and that they've got a plan. And that we can and that we can mark milestones. So you know, no one's wishing for you know. There's no pixie dust to to, to float around here. But they're giving the organisations an opportunity to demonstrate that they've got a plan to address what is a business performance gap. You know, this is no longer just a nice to have, and we'll do a bit of DNI and some women's leadership stuff on the side to keep a few grumpy people happy. No, no, this is actually a part of really good business practice now. And failing to address that, yes, you, you would uh, perhaps the organisation could be seen as being deliberately obtuse, uh, asleep at the wheel, um, not transparent enough. And those things start to raise questions about not only investors, but also talent. Because I've got to tell you, I, I talk to a lot of women, a lot of women every week, and those women are very, very good, and particularly in today's market, at saying, Here's how I do my due diligence for the next organisation that I'm going to join. Uh, and they look at publicly listed or publicly available uh, data. They look at the number of women in, in particularly key leadership and executive roles. And then they start asking questions about the culture. And that leads me to my next point that these organisations aren't doing this because of a because we need to tick some compliance box. They know that organisations that are diverse equitable and inclusive outperform. So in other words, they're going to get more money. They're going to get a return on their investment. They're far more, they're more likely to get a greater return on their investment for a company that has got DEI nailed versus one that doesn't. So bloody good business practice. Absolutely right. Uh, interesting that you say uh, that you do spend a lot of time talking with women. I'm interested in terms of those conversations and do you get a sense of optimism uh, from those conversations 
amongst women because th- th- there's two different schools of thought here right or there's two different voices potentially there's these white male leaders that we've referred to already right and i think um it's quite possible that they would come back with a very positive and optimistic um, note about what the prospects are uh, to to achieve greater gender diversity and inclusion. But I'm also interested to hear what you're hearing from women. That's really important. Like, what's the general sentiment that you hear? It's a great question again, Andy. And look, I would say that I hear polarising views. So I hear the polar opposites. Yes, I do hear... I hear comments like, gee, it's getting better. And yes, it is. Uh, Things are much better for women now. Yes, they are. But I also hear things like, Michelle, how do I navigate a workplace that is just so fundamentally stacked against me um, as a woman, particularly as a woman of colour? And so, you know, I, I don't, you know, but but let's be clear. I'm the sort of person that women will come to. You know, I run a professional women's network, so they're often coming to me because they have a need, an unmet need, which is, oh my goodness, how do I navigate? You know, situation A, B, C or D. And sometimes one of those situations is I need to get out of my current workplace and I'm actively job hunting. How do I do my due diligence for the next organisation? Because I don't want to find myself in this position again. Or it could be less onerous. They might be saying, how do I have a better conversation with my boss who is inadvertently blocking me from reaching my full potential? Um, and, you know, so, so you know, there, there is, you're right, there is a sense of optimism in some respects, but there's also a sense of great weariness and whew, here we go again and when will this be fixed um, and what do I do about it? So, you know, I, and I often say to people, so I, I, I do two things. One, I help fix the system that uh, is still not yet set up to really unleash the power of more women uh, in it. So, you know, fix that system that is is still keeping holding women back. Um, and then I help women navigate that system until it's fixed because there are things that individual women can do. But I, I, I've got to say, I, I, my, I, I love that work, but I particularly love the system work. How do we start rethinking the system? So, yes, we can, we can tinker about a little bit and we can probably try and do some you know, running repairs on a system that, you know, is pretty old, <laughs> depending on which world view you have, but, you know, a, a pretty old system. Or we can start to be really innovative and say, how might we do work better for all humans? How, how, how might we reimagine the way we do stuff? And, you know, as much as the last two years with the, a global pandemic has been so utterly devastating for, for the world and for so many people in it for business it's also giving us for many of us a once in a lifetime chance to say how can we do this differently and what what should we pay attention to from the last two years and to to, to come back to your question Andy I think you know right now I, I want people to pay attention to the humans in their organization including themselves and say how do we rethink work to really harness um, joy, harness innovation, harness curiosity. So I think, you know, yes, there's there's optimism. Yes, there's a lot of things that are a lot better, but we've still got a lot of work to do. But you know what? The answers are right there. They're about right there by paying attention to the stuff that we've been through as a human race for the last two years. But they're also there when we pay attention to and really listen to the lived experience 
of people in our organisation, particularly women if they're underrepresented in your organisation. Really got to listen because the answers are there. Well, uh, listening to you today, uh, Michelle, I certainly feel like you've given us some some tips and some really practical advice to uh, to, to all of us to make a, a good start on that journey. So thank you so very much for your time this afternoon. That's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode, which is part of Robert Walters' mini-series tackling diversity, inclusion and equity from numerous perspectives. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can subscribe to our channel and listen to our other Talent Talks episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and goodbye for now. <laughs>